People in for a lot of surprises on that first Easter Sunday. Jesus, come surprise us again. Amen. So the Lord is risen. Let's try that again. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. Yes. Oh, he is the firstborn of the new creation. He's the firstborn of creation. And he is the firstborn among, from among the dead. And that means he's the firstborn and he holds in himself literally every promise and every hope for anything good that you have held in your heart. That's what part of today means. <laughs> it means a whole lot more, but it doesn't mean any less than that. So we want to carry on in Luke 24. Thank you, Cecily, for the reading. Thank you, worship team. And, uh, and so we go to verse 13. I like the way we had to chuckle when uh, Cecily pointed out how dwarf the guys were on that day. At least they didn't have to ask for directions. <laughs> so on the same day, verse 13, Luke 24, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about 11 k's from Jerusalem. Why don't you just check we've got that right on the, on the recording. There should be a little dot there. Thanks. And my greetings to everyone online. It's uh, great to have you with us. As they were talking with each other about everything uh, that happened, they discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? And they stood still, like they just stopped, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped. Notice the tense. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. <clears throat> and he said to them, How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses 
and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continu uh, continued as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with him. Just, just notice how much eyewitness detail is here. Just, there's, there's lots of irrelevant detail, but it's the kind of stuff that when you've been really involved in a story, you can't help but keep it there because somehow it helps you own the moment. However, that wasn't irrelevant. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. What? What has just happened? Then they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. And they're going like, oh, spoiler alert. Then the two told what had happened on the way, how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Shalom, peace be with you. Confused, broken-hearted, disappointed, hope is in the past tense. Few things are as hard as having your growing and emerging and burgeoning hope crushed. The Jews had suffered for generations under oppression, one occupying power after another, suppressing freedoms, defeating their armies, imposing alien rule. Time after time, Israel's tried to free herself, only to be punished even more severely. Now Jesus had come and hope had started to rise. People were daring to believe that Israel might be rescued and redeemed. He is powerful in their words, in word and deed before God and the people. Everyone knew it. His deeds, his words count in heaven and they count on earth and they know without a shadow of a doubt he's at very least a prophet. But they had hoped for a whole lot more. <laughs>
hope is in the past tense. They had started to believe that he was more than a prophet. They had started to believe that maybe he was the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the King. And their hope, their expectation was that he would, in their words, redeem Israel. But no more. Hope has been surrendered to the past tense. Can I ask you this Easter Sunday, what hope have you surrendered to the past tense? What hope once lived in you, once even hoped in Jesus, that seems to have been taken from you and is lost in your past. Jesus wants to meet you on the road you're walking today. And let hope live again. But the first thing is, is that he's going to have a bit of a chat with you. How does Jesus respond to their devastation, disappointment, and lost hope? Well, the first thing he does is he bombs on them. He rebukes them. I mean, it, he, like what else must he say? I mean, he's very gracious with Mary in the garden. He takes time, lets her see him, calls her by name. You know, it, it's amazing when you're not expecting to see something, how hard it is to see it. So there Jesus is in front of Mary and she's not expecting to see him. So she doesn't. What you expect to see is often what you will see in spite of who stands before you on Resurrection Sunday. And what you expect someone to walk next to you, they were kept from recognizing him. Now, you know, was that an act of God? Was that an act of the Holy Spirit? Or was that an outcome of the same kind of thing going on in their lives? They were just kept from recognizing why? Because they just didn't have a framework. The term he uses, he says, uh, why are you so foolish? It's, it's, it's not moral foolishness. He says, you guys are being doff. You're not thinking. It's, it's, a, it's a term for intellect. Failure to do the thinking. You're not thinking enough. You've not applied your minds to what God has said and to what Jesus had been teaching. And, you know, for months and weeks uh, getting this in. And so Jesus is like listening to them and he's, come on, guys, are you serious? Who's not the sharpest tool in the shed right now? You know, he's just, your confusion is self-inflicted. Mary had been so, Magdalene had been so grief-stricken, she couldn't see that Jesus was alive. She couldn't stop crying enough to open her eyes. She was in a spiral of grief. But now these guys, so disappointed, confused and gutted, that when Jesus asked them what's wrong, they stop, they look down, <laughs> they downcast, and they miss him again. 
Sometimes the absence of hope in our hearts can keep us from the presence of Jesus. And so Jesus is gentle, <laughs> but he's pretty straight to the point. Come on, guys. I want to help you think this through. Let's open the book. But he didn't have the scrolls with him. He had them inside him. And so he begins to take them again through the scriptures, starting with Moses. We know that a little bit later in the chapter, he goes through all the three major sections of the Old Testament. But with these guys, Moses and the prophets, read it, understand it, believe it, think for a moment. Why is Jesus so harsh? They had the scriptures. They already had the testimony of the woman. Come on. And they had the news of the angels. They had this amazing rightness burning inside them as they heard him talk. And they had Jesus walking with them for a couple of hours and he was back from the dead and they missed it. Oh, I, I, that, that wouldn't be me, I promise you. I, I would like totally be on point. Eh? Oh, what's going on inside your heart determines what you're able to see. So he tells them, not only are you careless with your minds, he tells them you've got slow hearts. What's the opposite of a slow heart? I think a ready heart. But he says, guys, you just, you just, something's happened, not just in your thinking, but in your feeling, affective world. And you're just clouding out the best news that could literally change everything. What does it look like to have a ready heart? You know, open your Bible and go on your marks. Get set. Go. You're, you're so ready. So he points them back to the scriptures. It's so crucial. Again and again and again. Before his crucifixion. During his crucifixion. After his resurrection. We, this, the Bible wants us to know. Jesus wants us to know. This is thoroughly biblical and scriptural. It's in the first sermon of, of uh, you know, that the, the apostles preach as well. Again and again, there's this reminder. The apostle John, for example, we read in John's gospel, had walked into the tomb, seen the undisturbed grave clothes. I mean, like a chrysalis coming out of the cocoon Jesus had left the grave clothes completely undisturbed but there was no body inside it and he sees this and it says he believed that something extraordinary happened but he then says this in John 20 verse 9 I still did not understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead from the scriptures Think for a moment, what difference between believing Jesus is alive and what is it that Jesus is alive and living again according to the scriptures? Well, Cindy could come and do her children's talk from Friday again and give us that sense of from the scriptures. It's so important that we're not just thinking of like a freak event that no one can interpret. It's precisely because it is from the scriptures that we can attach meaning to the miracle. Unless you understand that he is the firstborn 
from the dead and the firstborn of the new creation that a new world order is dawning in and because of this Messiah breaking the curse and the fall of humankind into sin and all its devastating consequences is being broken and Jesus holds the promise of a new day. Unless you see the Easter event in the big story of all scripture, you'll always be confused. Now, this is a direct challenge, kind of another little bit of an angle. To There's a kind of romanticism about Jesus around us in culture. You know, he's, he's just such a nice guy, such a loving guy. Everyone loves Jesus. You know, we all think he's awesome, but you know, we really don't like the Bible. That's so full of prejudice and old school thoughts and horrible stuff. And, you know, so, so we love Jesus. We just don't like the book. Can I just press pause and say, you've got to think about that again. Virtually everything we know about Jesus is because of the book. Now, we know his historical effect transcends the book. But you've got no Jesus if you don't have Jesus according to the scriptures. If you don't have Messiah dead and risen again according to the scriptures. Messiah had to suffer, he explains. There's no other way for joy and glory. Jesus will save his people and he will awaken and fulfill the hope of Cleopas and his companion and redeem Israel. And this is not in some nationalistic sense. Jesus didn't come to save a strip of land next to the Mediterranean. His father loved the world. His father wants his house to be a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus would offer himself, as we saw on, uh, on Sunday, confronting and in conflict with our enemy, with the thief, with the wolf, with those who would rob and take away. And he would carry our sin, Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But bottom line is Jesus expected them to get hold of their Bibles, unpack them, and find him. The coming of Messiah, suffering, death, resurrection, will confound you until you find it in God's word. And so as the apostles start preaching, we find them again and again pointing to, and this phrase, according to the scriptures is found again and again, and they keep referring to it. This is not a freak event, incredible and inexplicable. It is the outworking of the great and careful and deliberate design of the Lord God himself. What a wonderful walk this must have been. Jesus goes back to the beginning and explains the ancient writings as people inspired by God's Spirit, often not even fully understanding all that they were saying. I mean, these guys, they were just, they were just being honest about what they saw. And like Daniel said, man, I was absolutely freaked out, but I had to go sleep for days to recover from what I encountered in the future, this prophetic voice. But for Cleopas and his buddy, their hearts begin to burn. Is it his wife? I don't know. We're not told. As the dead ashes of confusion are scraped away out of their hearts, 
the dead ashes of hopelessness and despair and the brushes taken and the old ashes that had once burned are swept away and a new fire begins to burn inside their hearts as they listen to God's word and they begin to think, yes, this may be true. I ask you today, as you listen to the Easter story, what's going on inside of your hearts? Have there been ashes that have burnt low? And as you're hearing God's word, as we're singing these songs, as Cecily read that scripture, is hope wanting to reignite in you again? Jesus corrects them. Jesus teaches them. And then Jesus accepts their invitation. Jesus makes as though he's going to continue on a journey. Not because he's pretending, but because he will honor their choice of whether they want him to stay or not. Leon Morris said, without their invitation, he would not have stayed. It's quite a thought on this Easter Sunday. Without their invitation, he would not have stayed. Of course, Jesus wanted to finish this time with them. Of course, Jesus wanted to bring it all together. But they needed to say, won't you please come? Won't you stay? Please don't leave. The risen Lord. The undisputed king of all kings, the Lord of lords, back from the dead, living again, waits to be invited. That's the nature of his kingship. He will not impose himself on one heart. He says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone will open the door, I will come in. <laughs> we'll eat together. And that's what we see in the story. Invited in, things change. Jesus accepts their invitation uh, to be their guest. And in the next line, suddenly he's the host. Jesus always... outgrows the invitation to be a guest. <laughs> Jesus is never just a guest. They invite him as honored guest. He comes in, and before they know it, he's taken over the role of the host, which would have been to give thanks, to bless the bread, and to share it in the house. And Jesus moves into the house and suddenly takes up the role that belonged to the host. Jesus, the guest, the invited guest, the honored guest, becomes the host of any house that he moves into. He's not being rude. Jesus is declaring that he's always at home wherever he is welcomed and where Jesus is home, he is Lord, he is master, he is the host of every meal. And as he breaks the bread and they're probably thinking, why is he host? Suddenly their eyes are opened 
and they recognize him. And tantalizingly, in that moment, he disappears. He's got a physical body that no longer has physical boundaries. Don't ask me to explain it all. He's got a physical body. He has been bodily raised that no longer has physical boundaries. I don't know if I was there, but I'd rush over to the seat. Like, you know, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, like, wow. Any case, did not our hearts burn? Did not our hearts, our hearts, we had hoped, <laughs> but it started burning again. Our dull and foolish minds are wide awake, our slow hearts are catching fire. And it's obviously dark already. They had said, listen, it's evening, you can't go on. Then they've got to go in, then they've got to prepare the meal, then they've got to do everything. Their own travel advice to Jesus was, you can't carry on in your journey now, it's getting dark. Forget that. Like they gallop and it's about the same distance as being from where we are to the waterfront. I don't know how long it took them, but they got there. And as they burst in, before they can even say anything, there's a story. It is true. The Lord has risen. He has appeared to Simon and Peter. It is true. It is true. If you will look at the scriptures, if your burning heart will listen to his voice, and if you will give Jesus an open invitation, can I tell you it is true? It is true. And suddenly you will find Jesus standing in the midst of your sorrow, disappointment with yourself and with the world. In the middle of that confusion, saying to you, my peace be with you. And into the middle of that space comes the peace of Jesus. So this Easter Sunday, I know we normally do it on a Friday, but we planned for it on a Sunday. And I'm going to ask couples if you don't mind sharing, because I think we've outdone our numbers a bit, which is wonderful. I'm going to ask you to come forward and in a sense recognize again Jesus as your host. Jesus is the one who's inviting you to invite him. He's the one who's waiting for you. And this table is a statement that you have put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. For some of you, this might be the first day that you do this as a meaningful act of faith. It's not just a ceremony. It's not just a church ritual. For some of you, it needs to be a restatement of your faith, a reclaiming of your belief in Jesus Christ. Because you know that the ashes have burnt low. You know there's not been much burning in your heart. But today you want to open the door and say, Jesus, I, I am offering you the invitation to become the host and Lord and master of my life. You take this communion this morning. You take this bread, which, which preaches this word that his body was broken for me. And you take this cup which declares that his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of my sin. 
and you come to eat at the banquet of Jesus. You see, this banquet, <laughs> I mean, one of the biggest themes of Easter is simply this, victory. We prayed it in the prayer meeting. Where, you know, God gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ because of the victory he won in conquering death. But inside this victory narrative of Jesus is this promise that you're forgiven when you put your hope and trust in Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. Any defilement, any pollution is washed away, as we sang on Friday, in his blood. There is a cleansing because of what happened at Easter. Receive that cleansing. Understand this, that there is a redeeming, which was when the slaves were set free. There is a liberating that comes when you eat at the banquet of Jesus. Understand this, there is a court case and there is a legal declaration over your life when you eat at the banquet of Jesus with faith. And it, the, the declaration is not guilty, no condemnation, enter you have full access there is no judgment on you because all judgment went on to Jesus and out of this victory comes reconciliation in which the story of restitution and reconciliation sins forgiven and wrongs put right are captured inside this Easter victory of Jesus and out of this table comes an even more intimate symbol of adoption. And when he looks at you, because of Easter, he says, you're my daughter, you're my son, and I love you. That is the banquet of Jesus. Let's eat and drink in faith of all that Jesus is breaking open for us on this day. And as we eat and drink, I pray your heart will burn again. I pray, as the scripture says, your eyes will be opened and you'll see Jesus. We literally prayed this morning, Lord, may people see you today. May people see you today. And so come in faith to this table, this banquet of Jesus, and receive cleansing and receive forgiveness and, and receive the, the justification that is yours. Receive freedom. Receive adoption. Receive restitution, reconciliation, and all that our God promises because he is risen. He is risen indeed. So, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this table. We thank you for its message. And we thank you and receive right now its application and meaning. So, Father, we give these holy moments to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Of 
Six feet under, I could have been lost forever. Yeah, I should be in that fire, but now there's fire inside of me. Here I am, a dead man. 